The Dredge Report does move the needle on what things what things people are talking about. There were staffs of reporters at certain publications whose job description was pretty much get Dredge links. And when they did, they'd get a bottle of bourbon as a reward or some kind of gift from their editor. And the model of journalism right now is trying to figure itself out. It is shifting, um, but clicks still do matter. There's no better way to get a lot of eyeballs on your story than to get something like a Dredge link. All right, folks, uh, we're just day two into the week, but a lot's happening in Trump world and in politics. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. It's the start of Lent. Uh, it is going to be, uh, you know, for those of you who don't know, I'll talk about this a little tomorrow maybe, but uh, I'm, I'm going hardcore for Lent this year on a lot of fronts. Maybe I'll break that down for you tomorrow because we've got a lot to get to. Uh, but tomorrow is also Valentine's Day. So it's going to be a big day for the church. If those, those of you who are uh, focused on kicking off Lent the right way, plus anyway, a lot to break down. Let me tell you what we're going to talk to you today. If you've ever linked to the, or looked at the Drudge Report, wondered everything behind it, we have an amazing guest today. He's got a new podcast called Finding Matt Drudge. And we're going to talk a lot about the influence that Matt Drudge has had on our political scene, where he is, how he does what he does. So amazing. Uh, what we're about to get to. But before we do that, last night, Trump calling for a major shakeup at the Republican National Committee. As you recall, Ronna McDaniel said, okay, after the primary in South Carolina, which is on Saturday, not this Saturday, the next Saturday, uh, she's going to be stepping down at some point. Well, Trump weighed in. He wants Michael Watley as the next chairman of the RNC, who is the current chairman of the North Carolina party and who Trump had previously endorsed for co-chair and lost. Then he wants his daughter-in-law, Laura Trump, who's been barnstorming the country, raising money and doing all sorts of stuff to be the new co-chairman. Now, remember, the RNC has this rule where the chair has to be of one gender and the other one, not, we're not talking identify either. You have to be really be a dude and then the other one has to be a female or vice versa, which is why Rana is the chair. And then there's a guy named Drew McKissick from South Carolina's co-chair. Well, if Michael Wiley becomes the new chair, then you have to have a female co-chair. That's why he is supporting Laura. And RNC rules allow that the chair and the co-chair not necessarily be members of the committee, which is why Watley, you know, technically is a member of the RNC, but Laura would not be. Anyway, this is a lot to get to. And then he wants to install one of his chief campaign advisors, Chris Saliza, as the COO, the chief operating officer. This is going to be really interesting to watch how it breaks down because there's nothing that says the RNC has to do this. Uh, that's happening tonight. There's a race to replace George Santos. We're going to keep an eye on that. It should be really close. I will say this at the forefront. Special elections are special. Yes, there are lessons in every race, but if we win the race, people should not freak out that this is awesome for us. And if we lose the race, don't get too concerned. Special elections are special. It's I'm excited to win. Um, some interesting fronts on the White House press office front. John Kirby elevated to the same rank as career Jean-Pierre. That's going to cause a little more tension. Meow. Uh, and then uh, Trump is actually in New York for the Stormy Daniels case. There was talk that he was going to go to Georgia for the Fannie Willis misconduct trial. No way he's flying to New York. All right. As I mentioned, a really cool conversation headed your way. Chris Moody uh, was a reporter at CNN, The Daily Caller, Yahoo, Vice. He's been all over the place. He started a new podcast called Finding Matt Drudge, which is a really cool um, series that he's put out about where Matt Drudge is, the influence he's had, uh, how people worked with him to get stories up. I have a couple cameos in here. 
You're going to love it. Let's kick off this discussion with Chris Moody. All right, Chris Moody, welcome to the show. Um, I got to tell you, I've, I've really enjoyed this podcast. Um, what made you want it? I don't, I, the, the, the thing that I thought was interesting of all the people uh, that have come and gone in politics over what, maybe the last few decades, what made you so intrigued by finding out where Matt Drudge was? Well, I've been working with a reporter named Jamie Weinstein, who's producing this project. Uh, and we looked back at kind of our the, the mid-1990s and the profound impact that Matt Drudge had on media and on politics. And, and that uh, impact continued for years and years. Uh, he was somebody who was so in the spotlight. He was on Meet the Press. He was on C-SPAN all of the time. He had his own radio show, TV show. The guy went on Letterman completely just out there and open, uh, breaking news quite a bit and just being a person uh, that people wanted to have on their shows and and have his ear. And then suddenly um, in the mid-2000s, late 2000s, Drudge made a, a decision to just back away into the shadows. And while his website, which continued to receive millions and millions of views per day, uh, cranked out uh, commentary, cranked out news, cranked out um, uh, links, he disappeared. And we wanted to find out uh, why someone like that would choose to want to go so dark. But also what drives us is, is we really think that Matt Drudge is an important figure in media and uh, continues to be so influential in politics. And we'd like to know why he decided to disappear, where he's been, and most importantly, his thoughts on the state of the world today. It's interesting because you, you have like two episodes have dropped or is the third one out yet? Third one's out and we got a fourth one coming this week. Uh, I want to tell you about one of our great sponsors, Delta Rescue. You guys have heard me talk about Delta Rescue before. It was founded by a guy named Leo Grillo. He started rescuing animals. He first one he rescued was a Doberman. And then he founded Delta Rescue. And if you go on deltarescue.org, you can check out the great work they do. Just click on one of the videos. If you're an animal lover, I've rescued three dogs. I know what it's like to, you hear stories about you know, shelters that can take care of them for this long or that long. Delta Rescue is a no-kill sanctuary, not a shelter, a sanctuary. If they take these dogs in, give them the nutrition, uh, the veterinarian care, and let them roam free. It's amazing what they do. And Leo has done an amazing job of helping to fund this place. And so if you go to deltarescue.org, you can give five, 10, 100, 1,000, whatever you want to support this mission if you're an animal lover. But more importantly, there's a estate planning kit there. If you can help make Delta Rescue an enduring mission, which is what Leo really wants to make this go on forever so that we can keep taking in dogs, cats, horses, other animals that are being neglected and abused and abandoned, please do that. Go download that kit. See if it can be part of your estate planning. Go to deltarescue.org and take it there. So have you taped this whole thing and you know how it ends or are you going along are you taping it as you, as you find more facts each week? It's a little bit of both. We have a lot of content pre-recorded. We've done interviews with lots of stellar guests, including one Sean Spicer, who oh, told, told some very good stories about time with Matt Drudge. Um, but at the same time, we are continuing to, um, uh, to report it, to get information. Uh, we have a hotline people can call. If you listen to the podcast, you can get the phone number and get, leave us a voicemail. Uh, maybe you've seen Matt Drudge. Maybe you have a great Matt Drudge story. Uh, so this is a blend of reporting we have banked and reporting I'm doing today uh, as uh, after I get done with this interview to continue the episodes. 
You know, as I was listening to it, I started to reflect to your point about looking back on the 90s. Where would you rank Matt Drudge in terms of the the influence that he had and has versus certain other media figures, um, reporters and columnists? Like it used to be, you know, I remember growing up, like everybody listened to Rush Limbaugh on the right. That was part of your daily. I remember putting up signs uh, on my first couple of campaigns and we'd go around and have Rush in the car and we'd go into gun shops and be giving them signs and pa- pamphlets and handouts for whatever campaign I was on and Rush would be on. And that was kind of part of the dynamic. And uh, and in fact, in 1994, Rush was named an honorary member of the class, the 104th Congress on the Republican side, obviously. Where do you rank a Matt Drudge? I rank him incredibly high for a couple of reasons. One, what he did for news in forcing the news industry to get with the times and get online and start breaking news faster and uh, um, and just stop being uh, in the print 20th century. Uh, this would have happened, I think, anyway, but the, the way that Drudge broke news during the Monica Lewinsky, Bill Clinton scandal in the 1990s uh, really forced publications like Newsweek to reconsider how they approach releasing news to the people. It also provided more transparency to people, um, uh, giving them an opportunity uh, to read a wide range of news and have access to things. And Drudge really manipulated that, uh, I think, in a way that, that w- can, you could argue that was positive um, for the news media that needed a little bit of a kick to get going. Uh, in terms of his um, his impact, think about how many reporters would read the Drudge Report on a momentary, daily basis, constantly refreshing it or having it as their homepage, and then that dictating the reporting that they did, going all the way up to the big three, ABC, NBC, CBS, the kind of things that would appear on the nightly news, the kind of things that Rush would read on his show uh, for conservative viewers, uh, and then political campaigns who also want to have their uh, reporting, their uh, spin put on the Drudge Report, constantly reaching out to him. In a way, he's a bit of a kingmaker. He with the click of his button, could shift the narrative on a political campaign, a presidential campaign. And that's power. Sean, that's impact. There's no doubt. So I would rate him very, very high and continue to do so to this day. How much of, of what's on the Drudge Report is it original reporting and how much is it reporters trying to get their story on that listed on the on the on the report with that link? There's no doubt that a majority of what he does, especially in the last few years, has been um, an aggregation site, a very powerful one, where if you get that drudge link, you know that the right kind of people are going to see it. That's why reporters spend so much time and effort really trying to get their links onto the drudge report. But as we all know, every once in a while, he gets a special bit of inside information and he will report it starting um, even before Monica Lewinsky. He was doing that a lot with Hollywood stories he would dig in the garbage at CBS Studios to get the ratings and then release them before anybody else um, had had reported them. Uh, that kind of shoe leather reporting was very, very real. And uh, and he would be talking in to Washington, to insiders, to White House insiders, and continuing those conversations with administration staffers in the Bush White House and even with um, uh, Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign and with the Trump White House, of course. Uh, and and so he, uh, he does original reporting. We do see that, uh, but perhaps less so than, than we used to. But even so, that link on the Dredge Report does move the needle on what things, what things people are talking about. Yeah, it's no question. I mean, as a communicator, I would often 
talk to reporters who I thought had a higher probability. If I had a story to give out, I wanted to dump opposition research, and I knew that you know Chris Moody had a really high success rate. There's several reporters that you and I both know, some of them you've interviewed, uh, that I would want to give information to mostly because I thought that story would end up on Drudge and get a, a much bigger thing. And so it, it was kind of an interesting thing. It was definitely part of the lexicon of the strategy, right? You were like, I know I can give it to five reporters, this information, this opposition research, whatever it is, this inside scoop, but I'd rather give it to a reporter that I see getting posted a lot on Drudge. Man, that is so, so true. Uh, there were reporters who developed I don't want to overuse the word relationship because very few people had a relationship with Matt Drudge and still do today, but they were successful in getting their links to him. Um, and he, they were consistent sources for him that he he looked to, and he had his favorite reporters. There were staffs of reporters at certain publications whose job description was pretty much get drudge links. And when they did, they'd get a bottle of bourbon as a reward or some kind of gift from their editor. This is a real but, but thing. This, as a guy, like, let me just stop you there for a second. You've worked at Yahoo, The Daily Caller, CNN, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm missing a couple others, I think. I, I mentioned it earlier when we were doing the introductions. But the point that I'm getting at is, as a guy who grew up as a reporter, a shoe leather, you know, go out, work sources, what does it say to you that that's, that's the reward? It's, hey, if you, you know, if you get a link on Drudge, we're going to give you a bottle of bourbon or, or some other reward. Is that a good thing or a bad thing for journalism? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Sean, because this uh, is an industry that is having a tough time trying to fill ad dollars that used to be paid on print uh, in digital media. And uh, for the last 20 years, that has been through traffic, through clicks. And there's no better way to get a lot of eyeballs on your story than to get something like a drudge link. And so the incentives, I mean, you know, you're, you come from the Republican Party, you believe in economic, in, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, in uh, market forces, uh, market forces will dictate behavior, right? Um, um, people will change their behavior and they realize, oh boy, we need all of these clicks. Let's try to to gear our stories to try to get, um, you know, things on, on something like the Drudge Report that will guarantee that continued income. Now, of course, that's shifting. The model of journalism right now is trying to figure itself out. It is shifting, um, but clicks still do matter. Now, is that good for journalism? Look, would we all love to be nonprofit reporters that just seek truth and not even thinking about the bottom line at all? Absolutely. And many reporters do. They just do their jobs and we leave the business stuff to another team. Um, but as we've seen, those market forces are real with layoffs after layoff. Um, it, it's been very difficult for, for journalism in the past few years. And I don't think that's a good thing. Um, should writers be reporting just for one person, for Matt Drudge and what he likes? No, that's not a good thing either. But uh, it is a natural response to real market forces. Hey, folks. I've thought about contingency planning for years. I was a graduate of the Naval War College. One of the things that we talked about all the time was what happens when things go wrong. Maybe that's a natural disaster, but what happens when the power goes out in your house for an hour, maybe a day, maybe weeks or months? Will you be ready? Could you power all of the things that you and your family needs, medical devices, electronics, tablets, computers, or even your refrigerator to make sure that you have a food supply? Well, guess what? With the Patriot Power Generator 2000X, you wouldn't have to worry about any of that. And it comes with a free solar panel because that's what powers it. You don't need to worry about gas or filling it up or running and hoping that that's all there. Nope, the Patriot Power Generator works just off the solar panels that come 
with it. If you go to fourpatriots.com slash Spicer, you can check out this great, great deal that they have. Fourpatriots.com slash Spicer. You get the Patriot Power Generator, which powers all of those things, a refrigerator, medical devices, all the things that you would need in time of an emergency come with it. And the best part is it's portable. It can run in your house. You can put it in your car. Those are the kind of things that get you ahead of the things that you never want to deal with. Go right now to fourpatriots.com slash Spicer and check out the Patriot Power Generator 2000X. This will be your savior in a time of an emergency. You interview some of these folks on the podcast where they're reporters saying, I wrote this or I changed the headline like this because I wanted to get a link. And this gets back to something like the sensationalism of a lot of reporting where it almost felt like if I do this, it will amp up the I, the chances of getting on drudge, which I, again, I just, this is the undermining of what it's supposed to be. You're supposed to be writing the facts, what the reality is. Here's what the sources say. Here's where the story goes. And yet the thing that I find so fascinating about some of the people that you've interviewed on the podcast who are reporters is they admit that they change their behavior. That doesn't mean they, 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 it, it, but I, I think that they admit that they may have sensationalized things or changed a headline to create a greater probability that they could get something to drudge and therefore get more clicks and then get rewarded. I haven't spoken with anybody that did anything unethical or, or, or made anything. Yeah, I didn't say unethical, but, but I mean, I, if you know. They, they've, they've certainly tailored language in right. headlines uh, to what drudge, and this is not reporters. Why? This is just, you know, a, a few folks that have been pretty savvy at this. Um, but, but also one thing you got to appreciate about Drudge, from what I understand from his biography or, uh, and things he's written, he loves news. He is a news hound who I think deep down really, really loves this, loves the media and the industry. And uh, he cares a lot about um, uh, the way reporting is done. He links to high quality sources quite often. It's not all just conspiracy land all of the time. He does have <laughs> his propensities and his interests in things that are can, I think, be considered fringe every once in a while. Sometimes, you know, he loves a good UFO story, right? Uh, but then again, you know, so does the New York Post and any kind of tabloid. Uh, he, uh, but, but he also links quite often uh, to New York Times writing, Washington Post. Uh, he is someone who has stuck to mainstream journalism um, and he just puts his own spin on it. Uh, but, it, you know, you're still linking to a mainstream source and you do, he does quite often. So the thing that I find fascinating is you talk about in the first episode his upbringing um, and sort of this desire to want to get into news and how he sort of wear, wore a fedora hat around that kind of was like the old school newspaper man. He, he really didn't have any formal training in this, uh, nor did he have any formal training in web posting or anything like that. It was just, he sort of seems to have stumbled into this. He, he did. He he would consider himself even a late bloomer. Um, he never graduated from college. He lacked the academic pedigree that many people in the so-called elite media, let's say, you know, he grew up in Washington, D.C. To him, the Washington Post was the apex of, of journalism, but he was never really accepted into those circles. And he goes out to Los Angeles and starts breaking news on his own terms on a little website that he, that he built with a computer that his dad bought him just very much independent on his own. And, and that independence, he would say, has been his power. And that independence is what he truly, truly respects. Uh, in the episode, one of the episodes, we go back to Matt Drudge's talk at the 
National Press Club in Washington, D.C., surrounded by the elite of the elite of American journalism. And he takes great joy in sticking it in their eye that he has scooped them and beat them um, at their own game. Now, what is also really fascinating is the questions that were asked afterward. He was in a room of wolves ready to devour him because they were not necessarily thrilled at what he was doing. Because of some of the things you mentioned, he didn't always have the layers of precaution that a lot of journalists do. Um, I've spoken with people for this podcast who, you know, would send him uh, a possible rumor that they had heard and said, you know, check it out. I don't know if it's true. And then it just goes up verbatim on the site. And they're like, oh, whoa, whoa, I didn't say I knew that, you know. And so maybe someone like the Washington Post would have taken a little bit more time. But I think Drudge, like a lot of tech companies in the last 20 years, erred on the side of breaking things more so um, than, than being concerned all the time. And, and that, I think, was um, what made him such a force um, for good or for bad in some cases. He's not yeah, he's always not- right, but neither is every mainstream publication uh, as seen by uh, the <laughs> corrections at the bottom. Corrections do matter, though. You're like when you get something bad, when you get something wrong, you do need to, to say so. I also want to talk to you about my friends at Bishop Gold. The economy is nuts. You see the ups and downs of the stock market. One of the things that I did was I made precious metals part of my investment strategy. I called the folks at Bishop Gold, right? So you can call them 844-984-1616, or you can go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean and have a conversation with them about maybe an IRA or a 401k or just adding this to your investment strategy. I did this. When I talk to you about products that I use, and I know you get hit up by gold groups all the time, I trust the people at Bishop Gold Group. I sat down, I called them, and had a conversation about what I could do, what made sense for me. And they can either ship it to you, they can hold it for you, they can talk to you about how you can liquidate it at some point if you need to get rid of it. But they will have a conversation about what's best for you and your particular investment strategy. So go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean, and you'll have a special promotion there to begin your journey with precious metals. Trust me, I love these folks. They're great. Bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean to begin your investment strategy with precious metals. That's a good point. I've never seen a drudge correction. Now, I can't say I haven't, you bring it up and I'm thinking to myself, have I ever seen anything where there was like a, hey, we were wrong about this or this story's been taken down. Has that, do you, do you know if that's ever happened? I, I don't want to speak to it because it might have happened, but um, his site moves so fast that he could post a story that, contradicts the last one and say this is developing and things have changed. I'd have to check on the correction. That's interesting. No, because I think your point is it'll just come down. The the site Mm -hmm. is dynamic. It moves. And so I don't, I I just haven't ever thought about that. It's a really interesting point because to your point, newspapers will print something at the bottom saying, Hey, Mm -hmm. we, without, they they barely do it, but I don't think I've ever seen it with drudge. Um, the, the thing, the other thing that I think is fascinating is the site hasn't evolved. Right. I mean, you think about it from when it launched to where it is today, it looks the same. No bells and whistles. Nothing has happened. And you think about you, you mentioned journalism and where it's gone, that, that there's this constant um, seemingly attempt to reinvent itself to get more tech savvy to find out where the consumers are. You see Jeff Bezos in, in, in um, instilling this sense of uh, of e-commerce best practices at the Washington Post, where he's trying to figure out how do we know where the consumer's going? How do we create a better model? Drudge looks the same today as it did in the 90s. 
It's even not just in that typewriter font and those 90s gifs of a flashing siren every once in a while, uh, but his photos are most often in just black and white. Uh, he has retained that aesthetic. It, it really goes to show that content is king, and, and that's something that he got very early on, that he doesn't need to make a bunch of investments and changes in aesthetics. He can just keep posting what he's doing, and it has worked. Uh, one funny story we have uh, from uh, somebody who was working with Donald Trump during the presidential campaign in 2016 is Trump would muse about how, you know, he appreciated how powerful Matt Drudge would be, but man, his site is ugly. Why does he keep this site so ugly? You know, I mean, you've spoken with Donald Trump far more than, than I have, but I'm sure you know that he really, really cares about the way things look. He likes yes. them flashy and gold. And so he just couldn't wrap his head around why something could be so popular and so displeasing to the eye. Uh, I mean, so it's a bland. very Trumpy kind of response, you know. It actually, that, that it's true. But because of that, because of the simplistic nature of it, why do you think that it hasn't been replicated? It would seem to me that it's a very easy thing to replicate, putting up links, putting up stories. Uh, I mean, what, why has he endured and nobody else with all of the technology and the AI? Why has no one come in and said, I can create a better, uh, you know, mousetrap than this? He's an original. And I get uh, it, but, but you, okay. we all get bored. We all go, hey, like, let's, let's make it fancier and cooler. Why, what, what is it about this site? that people still want to come to. Well, people, I, I will say, have tried to replicate it. There are websites like the Drudge Retort that look exactly like the Drudge Report that doesn't have- Wait, wait, the what report? The Drudge Retort is like the liberal Drudge Report. Uh, you know, I mean, you have to remember when, when the Huffington Post came out, they were often talking about the Drudge Report for the left. Um, there, there's people that are trying to kind of jump on what he did and take it to the next level. Of course, HuffPost has been very successful, but there's been so many imitators that have not been successful. People that have attempted to try to replace that. Um, and oftentimes those have been far more partisan. Uh, and yes, does Drudge believe certain things about uh, government policy? Absolutely he does, but he always comes back to his love for news, for engagement, uh, for, for content. That has been important, more important, I think, to him than just pushing a party line. He is definitely not a party person. He is not somebody that that will um, be allegiant to anyone for long. And, and I think that, that speaks to why a lot of people have been sour on Matt Drudge in the past couple of years, because they thought, as folks on the right, thought he was one of them. And yeah, he might be a fellow traveler in certain, certain capacities, but uh, he marches to the beat of his own drum. And if he thinks something different, he's just going to turn. And we saw him support, say, Donald Trump for president in 2016. He was all in for Trump. And in, by 2020, he had turned on Trump. This is something okay, why, a lot of Republicans. Why, 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 why? I mean, I remember I was in the White House when he had dinner with Trump. Um, you know, to your point, Trump clearly had a fascination with the report. Um, and then there was the, the headlines started to get worse and worse and worse. And I know there were rumors. I never actually asked Jared about this, that Jared had tried to become a, like a consigliere and reach out to Drudge and try to bridge the gap there. What, what was it that made him turn on Trump? This is uh, a question we are working to answer in one of our later episodes coming up. Well, um, give us a tease. I'll give you a tease. Of course, I'm not going to just leave it at that. Uh, 
a, a lot of it um, could have been, I mean, there's, there's a lot of theories, right? Um, some of it could have been a disappointment in Trump's policies on immigration. Uh, we saw that kind of spoken through Drudge's friend and Coulter, uh, who is somebody who has remained with Drudge for many, many years, while most people just kind of fall off in their relationship with him. Um, you know, uh, I, I think a disappointment also just in, in kind of like Drudge, uh, Trump's brazenness and, and just kind of... Uh, tendency to step on his own success sometimes. I, I, I think Drudge really soured on, on him there. But uh, in our episode, we have a very, very long episode of people, and I think you're going to be in this one coming up again, Sean, um, kind of wondering about this, about why Drudge has turned on Trump and what his beliefs are now. You know, we don't know where he is on, say, Biden 2024, or Trump 2024. I think that's still an open question, which is why well, we want to talk with him and, and see where he stands. Well, it's mentioned you meant that because the last I didn't I obviously have not downloaded the most recent one, but you teased at the last one that there's a Democrat that he's become mm -hmm. friends with. And I, I know that there are several uh, folks on the left that saw it in previous campaigns. I mean, you mentioned Hillary Clinton and others that have reached out to him and tried to establish relationships. What what do the Dems think of him? Because uh, clearly they recognize the influence. What, what what does he think of them and how are those friendships? So let's look at the Hillary Clinton campaign in 2008, say, uh, where Drudge was really at the height of his powers. He could post something and just change the course of the Democratic primary, uh, write something maybe about Hillary Clinton that the Hillary Clinton campaign didn't like. Um, I spoke with Philippe Rhinus, uh, who was a part, a big part of the Hillary Clinton campaign, and he would be getting calls from higher ups saying, why don't you call Matt Drudge and get him to take that down or yell at him? <laughs> and he's like, call Matt Drudge. I can't just do that. Whereas if the New York Times writes something, Thing that the Hillary Clinton campaign doesn't appreciate, what do you do? You get on the phone and you say, you bastards, you got it wrong or whatever. And they you know, have a conversation. There is no calling Matt Drudge. However, no. uh, Matt Drudge developed a, I guess we could call it a friendship with someone who was working on behalf of, behalf of Hillary Clinton's campaign. Her name was Tracy Seffel. Uh, yeah. They got to know each other so well that she went to visit him at his house and they had a, a weekend hanging out together. You know, um, uh, They talked on AIM all the time. They gossiped. They sent things back and forth. And so she was the Hillary Clinton pipeline to Matt Drudge at that time. Uh, he was her date to... Um, uh, I think it was a debate or, or Hillary Clinton's concession speech. I forgot exactly which which one, but um, but he he and her, you know, had a a, a really good friendship. I think uh, certainly a good working relationship, and she talked to him perhaps more so than some Republicans, which I think will be a little counterintuitive to a lot of people who yeah. see Drudge as more of a, a Republican. So we have a very long interview with with her discussing her time with Drudge, which I think viewers will find really fascinating. So. Obviously, the, the title of the podcast is Finding Matt Drudge. Does she maintain a relationship with him now? Can she tell you where he is? Like most people, other than Ann Coulter and maybe some others, uh, relationships with Drudge can suddenly just end. And it's not necessarily acrimonious. I mean, it's not necessarily, you know, bad. It's just, it's, um, they just, he, he falls off the face of the earth. He appears in your life and then he's gone. Man, I've talked to so many people who have, known Drudge for a couple of years and would talk to him on the phone or whatever. And then he just suddenly stopped responding to telephone calls, stopped responding to AIM messages back when that was a mode of communication, uh, just disappeared. He was here and then he was gone. He would appear in Washington at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, shake hands, rub shoulders, and then be out of there. 
and and it, I think he liked being that kind of enigmatic Batman esque. But don't you think you know what's weird about what you said? I agree with you, but the thing that was so weird, and and I don't know if it's episode one or two, because but but you go through this. He went through this whole phase where the guy's like has a show on Fox, a radio show, and he's at like he's on talk shows. You mentioned earlier some of the late night shows. He's going to the White House Correspondents Dinner. He's speaking at the National Press Club, right, soaking it all in. And then poof, it's like, I don't want any, not only that, you talk about the fact that like he's calling potential hires uh, that work out of sight and saying, no, no, you delete all your social media. Like, I don't want any connection to the outside world. That guy went from like soaking everything and going to every party, doing every invitation to nothing. Zero to, or 60 to zero, right? The opposite. What, what, that's a weird phenomena. Well, that's why there's a podcast called Finding Matt Drudge to find out what on earth happened. Why would you do that? I mean, we can psychoanalyze, I think, a little bit, carefully so. Uh, Sometimes you just feel so overexposed that you're just like, you know, I don't need this. Uh, Sean, I mean, you know, I think when you were um, Trump's spokesman up there on the podium, perhaps you felt like, man, I would love to disappear with my family and go off to an island sometime. Yeah. I'm just, I'm in the spotlight so much. This is exhausting. I don't need yeah, but The this. difference was, the difference is, and I agree with you. So I, I feel that, but I was being, I mean, rightly or wrongly, we don't need to replay this right now, but I, I knew I was being attacked, mm. right? People were like, we hate you. We're going to go after you. We're going to go after your family. Like, there's a reason you want to retreat. It's because I'm being attacked in a sale. Matt Drudge was at the height of everything. And, and I mean, I get there were people prodding into his personal life. Yes. There but were it wasn't like written. there was some scandal. It wasn't like they were saying, you lied and you duped us all and you did this bad thing. There was, you know, it was shows and it was, he, he was living the high life and then just said, peace out. Well, there were also profiles that dug into his personal life that he didn't think was necessary for, you know, as a, as a news person, why do people need to be writing about these things in my life? There were certainly radio hosts in Miami that were having people report on his private activities at bars and clubs in Miami. Uh, he, he really was, I think he was under that kind of microscope. Um, uh, maybe not. I mean, I remember Sean, like somebody had set up like a camera, like a live feed outside of your house one time, yes. which is just crazy. You know, um, those kinds <laughs> of things make people want to just not be involved. He still had the sight though. And he said, you know what? At certain point, I don't need this public noise. I'm going to speak through my website. I'm going to use that as my blowhorn because it's big and it has an impact. And so I can have the impact that I want without having to suffer um, kind of the trials of being such a public figure. Uh, You know, he sold his condo in Miami Beach, uh, moved to a, I think you could even call it a compound of some kind way out in Southeast Florida by the Everglades, deep, deep in there. We we actually speak with somebody who went over to that house and um, uh, not too long ago, uh, we'll have in a future episode, uh, which is now on sale, actually. So Drudge is continuing to be on the move out of Florida uh, or somewhere else in Florida. We, we don't quite know. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, when you have that kind of website and that kind of access, but you don't have to have somebody put a camera in front of your house, I, I think you make that decision, especially when you've really kind of made it. You have, he has got the money yeah. coming in. He's got the prestige. Can I ask you this about the, the, the plenty coming in though? I was reading on Wikipedia, which don't get me started on Wikipedia, so, but it quoted a couple reporters, um, and I thought I had it here. But basically, let me just say, because I swear, uh, the the end of the day, they they 
Yeah. The Miami Herald from September 2020 to September 2003 said that Drudge estimated he earned $1.2 million a year from his website and radio show. During an April 30th, 2004 appearance on C-SPAN, he confirmed he earns over a million dollars. Okay. So that's 20 years ago at the height of Drudge, right? When he was crushing it. And that's when he had a radio show and everything else. When you go to Drudge, there's not a ton of advertising that's there, right? So that's what I've always found fascinating is you, you've got like one or two ads and then you're hoping that there's enough traffic that, which I would assume has gone down over years and the price per the CPM, the cost per, per impression is also down. I, I, I don't, and believe me, don't, I, I know this may come across the wrong way. Considering the costs that probably go in, which may not be a ton, but there's some and he's got some people working for him. It doesn't seem to me that he's after taxes making a ton of money. I can't speak to the exact numbers, but I can speak to the low overhead that he has, Correct. especially compared to other news websites that aren't doing nearly as much traffic as he is doing. Uh, as far as we know, he has at least one employee uh, working full time. Uh, then there's costs of, of webs, you know, space storage and all, you know, hosting and all those kinds of things. It's not that much. Uh, and I, we spoke earlier about this, the, the limitations of the website, how simple it is. Um, that money is is going to him. And I think that's part of the, the genius. He didn't build a giant staff of people that he had to pay health insurance and, and you know, give paid vacation, all these things to. Uh, he always kept maybe one, possibly two editors at a time. And he continued to be a part of that site, uh, being a laborer uh, for his his own website. And, I, and you think about all the news websites that have 50 staffers, uh, reporters, um, that costs a ton of money. HR staffs, like he doesn't have any of that kind of thing. So uh, I think with such a low overhead and making that high income over the last 20 or so years, uh, I think you can find yourself in a pretty good position. Uh, he's that house in Florida he's selling is a multi-million dollar house. But see, that's my point though. Like, let's just, let's say he made a million bucks. Uh, you employ somebody, you've got decent overhead. I mean, again, I think you're right. He can, you don't, you need computers, some servers, maybe whatever. Uh, but call it all in, you know, a couple hundred grand that gets you down to 800,000. Could be more. We don't know that. Though. I know, but I'm just playing a game here. And then if yeah. you cut that in a half for taxes, you're at 400 grand. You're, you know, for the houses that he's getting, it just seems there's something that maybe he's investing really well or something. I don't know, but I just, I assumed for a while when I read some of these numbers that I thought it would be bringing in millions a year. Um, and I get that when he had the Fox show and the radio show. But it just, it always, the, the finances of it have always intrigued me because I assumed, you know, he'd be bringing in several million dollars when you're, you know, at least according to some of these reports, it, it, there's nothing that seems to indicate that it's more than at best a, a little over a million. I'd say the reporting is limited. We don't know how much is actually coming in. Uh, even the self-reporting 20 years ago might might have said on a on a website or on a show or something. Right. Uh, but the evidence is in the lifestyle that he lives. Right. He, he owns property all over the world. He lives wherever he wants. He brings his laptop and he logs on. Um, and that's not cheap. Uh, and so he's done very well. There's no doubt about it that I think he's um, in a very good financial position. Uh, and he has done so because he has remained independent, low overhead, uh, and continues to do his thing. And people flock to that site. Even do you think time. when you say people flock to that site, I remember when I was working on the House Government Reform and Oversight Committee and we were impeaching, um, we were going through Whitewater. And that was obviously, I mean, people literally just hit refresh, refresh, refresh. 
I can't remember in two cycles at the RNC, Romney and then Trump, where that was, I mean, yes, did people, did like I, I said earlier, we would use and utilize reporters that we thought would have a higher probability of getting a, cl- a link up. But I can't say that I had that site up the way that we did in the 90s, right? So it would literally be on there. You'd refresh, did we check it or did somebody tell you that you had a Drudge link or something like that? Do you think it still has the same influence or, or what percentage of an influence do you think it has now that it had back in, say, the, the height in the, the 90s to 2000? Well, Sean, I'd be willing to bet that in 2016, you probably had Twitter as your homepage that you were refreshing over and over. Right. Uh, competitors came in, technology changed, social media uh, has served as a competitor to not only the Dredge Report, but the news industry writ large. People are consuming information in different ways than, you know, we, to be on the internet in 1998 is a far different thing than in 2008 or 2018, right? Um, with, with the flow of information, Twitter proved that it could be faster than Drudge. Um, and I, I think the appeal of Drudge um, was in the way he would shape stories and the kind of stories that you'd be exposed to. Um, another kind of charming, almost, uh, I, I guess we could say, um, old-fashioned kind of way about it is that these social media companies are driven by algorithms that study you as the consumer and tailor to you. But we're still getting a bespoke product with the Drudge Report from him and his editor, you know, mostly from, you know, we get the flavor. We go to the Drudge Report to see what this really enigmatic, interesting, curious news hound guy uh, is focusing on. Now, he's probably influenced by algorithms himself, um, but I think there's something about having a curated site that yeah. looks old that provides some kind of difference than just our constantly algorithmic controlled lives. And and I think people will continue to flock to those kinds of products. Yeah. No, there's something nice. I mean, I get it. The layout wise, it's easy. You go and you can be like almost going, okay, what did I miss today? The one last thing, and I, I should have asked this earlier, but I was intrigued because Drudge kind of came onto the scene. You mentioned he broke some stories. One of them was the the 96 running mate for for Bob Dole. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but some of the reporters like um, Mark Halperin called him the Walter Cronkite of his era. Right. But then you've got guys and I know that you spoke to him on the podcast, Michael Isikoff, uh, who was at Newsweek at the time. They're the ones that passed. Uh, I wouldn't say I don't know if the right word is passed. They didn't post the story about Monica Lewinsky. Drudge got it, put it up. You talk to Isikoff on the podcast and he is he is quoted as saying Drudge is a menace to honest, responsible journalism. And to the extent that he's read and people believe what they read, he's dangerous. What what is the prevailing if there is one? view of Drudge among journalists, because it's funny, you've got a lot of people that you talk to on the podcast that are just trying to get the link up to him. They clearly see him as a positive force. And then you've got people like Isikoff that, quote, say he's dangerous. Uh, the the quote, I believe, was from the 1990s at the time uh, when he was fuming mad about, <laughs> uh, about what had happened. And I think a lot of reporters shared that view, that he was dangerous because he didn't have those layers of editorial control and care. Things could just go up on the internet without having the lawyers take a look at it, have the PR team take a look at all these kinds of of layers of protection and these editorial controls. Um, And so, yeah, there was a nervousness. And if you go back and watch the questions asked of Drudge at the National Press Club uh, speech um, in the late 1990s, you can feel that animosity. Uh, then I think Drudge, because of his 
ability to direct links to the stories that you wrote. Uh, people were constantly reading them, even if they disagreed with him, they respected the, the power of it. And then today, in the current year right now, um, I think there's a bit of a waning influence, a bit of a slowing down. Uh, younger reporters might not be as thirsty for those drudge links as some of the older generations yeah have been. Um, but that doesn't take away from the legacy that he has and the impact that he has um, that I think, you know, you could argue that he he really had power in, in the Republican primary in, in 2016 uh, to the point that Ted Cruz was just kind of ex- baffled as to why Drudge was never helping him out. Uh, Trump <laughs> certainly appreciated the uh, support from Drudge. Uh, and I think it moved the needle in significant ways, especially at a time when primaries and general elections can be so razor thin in their margins. Yeah. Um, having somebody just give a little push, uh, you know, they might not be the kingmaker completely, um, but it does it does make a difference. And he continues to do so. And I think he continues to be somebody who is a fascination to, oh, to I, people. And I, I would, you know, I, I, I hope we can get him uh, on the air to to voice his views beyond just on his website. So we'll see. Stay tuned. Yeah, to the stay tuned. We've got a few more episodes. We'll find out if you find Matt Drudge. Uh, if you listen to the podcast, as Chris mentioned, there is a phone number there. So if you've got tips or stories, you can always share them with them and potentially be featured yourself. Chris Moody, thanks for joining us. The, uh, the podcast, again, is Finding Matt Drudge. It's available everywhere that you get your podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for being with us tomorrow. We'll break down the results of this New York special election, tell you what it means what the big takeaways are, plus where we are with the battle for funding on Ukraine, the battle for the RNC that I talked about earlier today. Thanks for being with us. Continue to subscribe, download, and share. We'll be back here tomorrow on The Sean Spicer Show. Thanks for joining us.